Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redeemer Church. We pray that as you listen to this message, that your heart would be softened, your ears would be opened, and your affections for Jesus would be stirred. We pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would look more like Jesus and know Him more as we strive to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family together in Wichita Falls. My very first roller coaster that I ever uh, rode was Judge Roy Scream from Six Flags. You don't see how this is related? All right. Um, Judge Roy Scream, if you've ever been to Six Flags over Texas, it's just a really simple roller coaster. You kind of go around a corner to kind of get you geared up and ready for it, and then you start going up that, that wooden chain link thing, and you go, and then you kind of back. Um, back up into the chain and it takes you all the way to the top which carries you to the momentum throughout the entire thing. Awesome ride. Um, but uh, this text I kind of reminded me and brought me back to uh, Judge Roy Scream to where there was kind of like a big hill that's kind of the climax of, uh, of the Gospel of John and then you go down and up and down and up and down and up all throughout this chapter because last week we kind of were on uh, this, this big rush, right? This big rush of going down and understanding that Jesus says, hey, you are my friends. I, I, I'm not like the other religions of the world. I'm not like the other gods of this world. You are my friend. Christianity is primarily about friendship with God. Friendship with God. And then all of a sudden, you hit a bank and you turn really, really hard. And it says, if the world hated me, it will hate you also. And uh, this is how it's kind of related here. Now, we're up and down right here, but what I want you to see from this text is that it is primarily because of our connection, our friendship with Jesus, Jesus then gives a good and proper warning to his followers. And this good and proper warning is that because you're my friends, the world is going to treat you the same way that it, that it treated me. And this text is really calling us to a radical understanding of what friendship with Jesus will do to our lives. Friendship with Jesus will radically change who we are, how we operate, how, how we connect with, with the Lord and with the world. Friendship with me means the world will treat you the same way that it treated Christ. And, and it says that uh, Jesus says that they persecuted me. Guess what? They will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they would keep yours. And Jesus is saying, do not underestimate the radical nature of friendship with me. Do not underestimate it. The world is okay with you having a good moral teacher that you're following. It is not okay with you having a Lord that commands you to, to live and to operate by and so this is what our text is teaching us today, that primarily what relationship with Jesus is, is a radical shift in how you view reality and how you and I view reality. This is why it's called new birth. 
You ever think about that? What is new birth? It's, it's brand new. It's something totally different. It's something that is fresh. And, and what happens in the new birth is you die to the old self. You die to the old reality. And part of being a Christian, part of being a friend with God is saying, I am no longer defined. I'm no longer defined by uh, my upbringing. I'm no longer defined by the things that I thought were true over here. I'm no longer owned by the world for the world to shape me and mold me according to its own morals and own preferences. You and I, who are friends of Jesus, are radically transformed and changed. We're radically transformed and changed into adopting the new reality. And what is the new reality? It's what the Word says. The new reality is found in Scripture. The new reality abides with Jesus. This is the entire context of what's going on in here in John 15. Abide in me and I abide and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing that will last. Why? Because if you're trying to do, trying to live in this old reality, this, this old reality will not last for eternity. The only thing that will last is you walking hand in hand, step by step, following my commands that I have called you to. To follow. Paul states this in Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 by saying this. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, we are different. Friends of Jesus are different. There's a radical difference that happens to you. There's a radical difference that happens when you enter into relationship with God. So, let's talk about that. What are the differences between the world and followers of Jesus or disciples, disciples of Christ? Uh, this passage points out several of them. And Jesus warns his friends in a friendly way so that we're not duped. <laughs> We're not duped into thinking, oh, I thought following Jesus was just really going to be easy and good, and, and uh, I was going to have all the health I wanted. I was going to have all the wealth I wanted. I was going to have all the prosperity that I, that I wanted. I thought that's what it meant to have connection with God. And no, Jesus says, look, in this, in this world, you're going to have trouble. The, wor the world's not going to be your friend. Why? Because you're friends with me. You're friends with me. And so I want to point out three things, three things from this text today. Christians will have conflicts, that's the first thing. Christians will be radically changed, that's the second thing. And Christians are chosen to be friends with God, that's the third. All right, so let's go through one by one. By one. Number one, you will have conflict in this world, friends of Jesus in this room. You will have conflict with the world. Keep in mind, if the world hates you, it hated me first, Jesus so lovingly says. It hated me before it hated you. Uh, Paul tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, not may, but will be persecuted. You will be persecuted whenever you're trying to follow the ways of Jesus in, in this world. Take it to the bank. The, the word of God informs us this truth. Because the, the world can't handle some of Jesus' teachings. The world can't handle the teachings of Jesus uh, about the Imago Dei. They hear it as ignorance. They hear it as ignorance. They, uh, they can't receive it. They can't receive it. 
And so uh, let's, let's talk about some of the implications of Jesus' teaching here from this text. In, in, ways, in ways that you'll experience conflict because of your commitment to the teachings of Jesus. The first thing that you need to recognize is that Jesus' teaching was authoritative. Uh, Jesus came into the temple and he was radically different. He was radically different. Every time he spoke, he said, amen, amen. This is translated in English as truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, if you're a King James only uh, person in the room. Verily, verily, I say to you this. And, And none of the scribes or the Pharisees taught that way. They all, all the scribes and the Pharisees, what they did is they uh, exegeted the text and they stood back and they said, my teacher taught me this way and his teacher taught me this way and his teacher taught me this way. And then all the other scribes and Pharisees waited after they kind of assessed uh, the, the teaching of the day and then they said, amen, amen. And so they were judging as a whole the teachings of the other scribes and Pharisees after they taught. But Jesus taught in a different way. Jesus started off his teachings by by saying, amen, amen. I tell you the truth. This is the truth. I don't need to be judged by you out there, is is how Jesus taught. I don't need to be judged because, uh, and we see this in Mark chapter 1, verse 22. They were all astonished. Uh, Mark 1, 22 says, And they, the scribes and Pharisees, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. You know what this teaches us? It teaches us that the Word of God, the way that Jesus viewed the Bible, was it was absolutely authoritative in, in, in everyday life for the Christian for the God-fearer, for the person that, that, that walked after God, this was absolutely authoritative. It was the foundation that we were all standing on. And so whenever you look at the Bible, you have to understand that it is the penultimate truth. It is the new reality. It is the ultimate reality that we're all living in, whether we believe it or whether we don't believe it. And so if we hold to this standard of truth, the world hates this idea right? The, the world hates this idea. The, the, the primary thing that's going on in secularism right now, that's been going on for a very long time, it, it, um, it, it's kind of spread past modernity and into post-modernity or post-modernism. It's this idea that you can believe whatever you want, you can say whatever you want, just don't say that your truth is superior to any other truths. Don't say that. That's the one truth that is the absolute truth that there is no truth. Now let's let's think about this circular argument here real fast. If you said if a postmodern person came up to you and said there are no absolute truths in a Kevin Malone voice, all right, uh, there are no wrong answers as Kevin sometimes would say in the office. Uh, Right here, you got to be like, wait, do you believe that's true? Do you believe it's true that there are no absolute truths? Because if you don't, then what are we talking about? Let's talk about some substance. Let's talk about some reality. You're living in fairy tale land over here. And, and this isn't something that uh, we can live by or even abide in because it's nonsensical. It's absolutely nonsensical. Or uh, I had a professor once that said, I think the most arrogant thing that you can say This was whenever I was at Texas Tech University taking a a class called The Bible as Literature. Now just listen to that. 
I just said that the Bible is authoritative. And there was a class at a public university that said the Bible as literature, all right? So the whole point of this class was to try to extricate the promises of the truth claims of God out of the authority of God and just say that the Bible is just good literature that has stood the test of time and some people that come to church on Sunday still believe it. And so it was, tr it was actually trying to deconstruct people's faith um, at Texas Tech University. I love Texas Tech University. Don't, don't dog them. Don't tweet. <laughs> don't, do, don't do anything. Um, but uh, this, this is the truth that this professor actually said, I think it's wildly arrogant for someone to say, I, I know and understand the mind of God. And then he asserted, no one can understand the mind of God. But do you see the circular argument there? If the mind of God is unknowable, how can you know that no one can know it? It's, not, it's nonsensical, okay? But there, there is this postmodern thought that you and I are just swimming in. It's the water that we're, we're in in our culture that has taught us that, oh, you know what? Absolute claims, absolute claims of ultimate authority are really arrogant. How dare you? How, how do you know? How do you know? Uh, we know because it's actually equally as arrogant to say, oh, Jesus taught from authority and then say he's not authoritative? Uh, is, it, is it more or less arrogant to look at the claims of Christ and say he didn't really mean that? Uh, I think it's the primary thing that we have to do as Christians in our day and age, as we're dealing with and interacting with the Word of God, we have to start, we have to start with this hermeneutical or interpretive principle that whatever, is, whatever you are reading in its plain understanding of Scripture is what Scripture is primarily trying to communicate. The plain understanding of Scripture in its English, you don't have to learn, you don't have to learn Greek, you don't have to learn Hebrew. There's been, uh, God has preserved the clarity of His Word and by God's grace raised up men and women in, in the past in the past centuries to interpret, uh, to interpret the Word of God in English to where you can trust what you're reading is primarily the truth of God that He wanted to communicate and be understood by the Spirit of God. And if you're, if you're in this room, if you're in this room and you're just like, you know what, the Bible says a lot of stuff and I just don't know if I can trust it. The Bible says a lot of stuff and I just don't know if I can trust it. I, I want to warn you that has to be a really arrogant position. Because every time Jesus, every time Jesus quoted someone in the Old Testament, whether it's Moses or David or Isaiah, do you know how he interpreted Scripture? He says, the Lord says this. Well, who wrote that? Moses wrote it. Uh, who, who penned it? Isaiah penned it. Who penned it? David said it. And then Jesus' understanding of the Old Testament text was the Lord wrote it. The Lord wrote it. This is, this is wildly important. Your connection with the Lord, uh, your, your deep connection, your deep fellowship with the Lord is going to be dependent upon how simply you understand the plain understanding of Scripture. How simply you accept the plain understanding of Scripture. There's circular arguments out there that sound humble, that sound humble, but they're actually nonsensical. 
They're actually nonsensical. And you say, well, Cody, I read some things that are contradictory in the Bible. I read some things, and whenever I read it, I was like, oh, this contradicts this, and this contradicts this. Listen, the Bible's claim, and Jesus' claim, is that the Bible does not contradict itself, that it is a harmonious, it is the harmonious Word of God. And if we come to a place where it looks like there's two contradictions, it looks like there's a con contradiction here and here, uh, that's caused to pause and to dig deep, not to just say, oh, I can't understand it. I can't understand it. Uh, uh, who, who can know this? Well, you know what? This is just too hard. And so why don't I just uh, go over here to commentaries or why don't I just read these Christian books over here? No. Dig in, Christian. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of you looking at the scriptures and saying, God, I want to know you. And this is hard for me to understand. Press deeper in. This is called friendship. Friendship with the Lord. Friendship with each other means that if you ever have a disagreement with a friend, I'm much more apt to go to a friend and be like, hey, dude, I, I didn't understand what you're saying there. And it actually kind of hurt me. And I, and I didn't really understand it. And it, it got to the point to where I, there were some bad feelings going on in my heart. So can we just pause? Can we meet up? Can we meet up and we, can we talk about it? Can we dig in? Can we seek for clarity here? Can we get clarity here? Listen, we are to do the exact same thing with God. Redeemer, you are to do the exact same thing with Scripture. God is not afraid of your questions. Dig in with Him. Dig in with Him. Because the harmonious uh, structure of Scripture, I, I have not yet found one contra apparent contradiction in the scriptures that whenever I dug in, saw even more profound love from our Lord, even more pr profound compassion from our Lord. It happens time and time again. So Christians, dig in. Dig in. There's another lie that says that it is actually compassionate. It is compassionate to take on the disbelief of other people around us. And that is a lie. It is not compassionate to take on the disbelief of those around you. We are to speak the truth of Scripture in love. You are to start with truth. You're to do so lovingly with a compassionate heart, with gentleness and respect, and dig in. Not say, oh yeah, you're right, that's a good point. God isn't like that. And, and, and it is so prevalent today for us to just say, you know what? I think I agree with you. That is a hard scripture to understand. And so let's just choose not to believe it right now. Let's just choose not to believe it. You will, that is not you getting closer to the Lord. That is you backing up further and further away. Press in in apparent contradictions. Don't back up in apparent contradictions in God's word. All right? And so this is something that we have to dig in very deeply. The truth of Jesus does not, is not contradicted in the word of God, in the word of God. And Jesus is telling the people right now that we have to dig in to those that think that there's apparent contradictions or to think that we cannot trust the word of God because look at verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, the world, this is what Jesus is saying, they would, have, uh, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Why? Because truth has entered into reality. 
Whoever hates me hates God also. Whoever hates Jesus hates my Father also. Christianity teaches that God himself entered into the world. And in this text, it says that the world did not receive him. John, uh, earlier in his, um, in his gospel, in John 3, uh, verses 19 through 21, says this, which is kind of an explanation of what he's talking about. He says, and this is the judgment of the world. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What does this text mean? What is this saying? It's saying that it's not humble. It's not humble to look at the plain understanding of God's word and say, I wonder what this means. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. What, what do you think he means there? It means that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only truth. Jesus is the only life. That there is no life apart from him. There is no truth apart from him. All truth is downstream from the headwaters, which is Christ. All good gifts come from Christ, down from the Father of life. Life, which is truly life, is only found in Christ. The only way to this this life and this truth is through Christ. That is it. Don't, get, don't twist the words of God and say, I am somehow intellectually superior or more compassionate than my friends. Because the word of God does not err. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It cannot lead us astray. It cannot lead us astray. So Christians, dig in. Dig in to this text. Uh, I have to give a quick aside, a quick aside uh, to this, because oftentimes what we will think about is whenever you hear a text like this, you'll, you'll hear me saying, um, hey, wicked, you know, weird Bible interpreters, stop it. You know, like y'all are, y'all are terrible. Uh, uh, quit it. No, no, no. Here's the ethic. We have to speak the truth in love. And here's the superior wisdom of the word. Listen to the superior wisdom of the word. If you're disagreeing with me right now, if you're frustrated with, with me right now, this is my ethic that I'm trying to teach to you. Look at Luke 6, 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. And Romans 12 says this, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you see this? The gentleness of the Lord? That it's not, it's not wise for Christians to try to win theological debates and be like, ha ha, gotcha, did it. One, eat that. No, what do we do? We're patient, we bless. We do not overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. We're patient, we're gentle, we're respectful. 
and we try to lock arm in arm with those that disagree with us and say, this is the true way. This is the true life. This is, um, uh, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And we are compassionate, gentle, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And so we have to do this. We have to um, have an ethic of loving our neighbor and praying for our neighbor and um, feeding our enemies and taking care of taking care of them, not in a patronizing way, but in a loving way, in a loving way. So Christians need to create a culture of this, a culture of this. Uh, you, you might be in this room thinking, like, Cody, we're never going to agree on anything. Think of all the denominations. Think of all, like, there, it feels like whenever I think of Christianity, all I see is disagreements. All I see is disagreements. My call to you is this, follow the plain understanding of Scripture, and get with a group of people. Get with a group of people that want to follow the plain understanding of Scripture. Don't just be mere hearers of the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And here at Redeemer Church, we're trying to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. This is our summary of the entire uh, New Covenant. That we should be centered on Christ. That we should make disciples because that's what He said to do. And we should do so together. We want to create a culture of a Jesus-loving family, an authentic Jesus-loving family living out the Great Commission together. So join us. Partner with us. Give your resources. Uh, 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 devote your time to this because this is what the Lord is calling us to. Another thing that Jesus is teaching here, outside of him just being the ultimate authority, all of these go way faster than that first point, by the way, if you're wondering... Um, is Jesus is teaching here that the world cannot own us. The world cannot own us. Christians are always going to speak truth to power and institutions that are promoting worldliness. And so no matter what, uh, no matter what form of power or hierarchy is going on in the world, the Christians will either be contrary in one way or another. Why? Because we're not owned by the state. We don't have allegiance to a king. We, we belong to Christ and his authority alone. And so we will care for the poor in a way that uh, traditional conservatism probably doesn't want to hear. All right? We will not. We will not fight primarily for equity in all things. Why? Because the word of God instructs us. The word of God instructs us how we are to partner side by side as the household of God as a household of God, and to speak truth, certain truths of the Bible into people's existence so that their character and their life is transformed and changed from the inside out. We will always be subversive. We will always be uh, living for an audience of one king, and that is it. We will, we will take the truths of the Bible and say, this is my ethic, this is my new reality, and everything will have to bow down to this. We will not bow down to Caesar. We never will. James 4, um, verse 4 says this. It says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? We cannot be friends with the world and friends with our Lord. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 1 John 2, 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm not, I'm not up here giving a, 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 a speech 
about political rightness or political incorrectness or, or follow the left way or follow the right way. I'm saying look at the world. Look at the world in whatever way the world is going that is contrary to Scripture. We will not go this way. We will follow King Jesus. And Jesus is saying here in this text, it's because of this, it's because our allegiance is to one king that the world will always hate us. It will always hate us. Our worldview has to be captivated by Christ and Christ alone. What is your worldview captivated by? Let me ask another way. What do you spend your time doing naturally? Whenever you're just trying to live throughout the day, how are, you, how are you spending your time naturally? What does that look like? Are, are, you const, are, you more, are you more caught up on current events than you are the Word of God? Is that, is that something that you're really into? Always watching CNN to, to, to follow the, the, the latest thing that CNN is telling, telling us. Always following Fox News and whatever the latest thing is, is telling us. Do you know the Republican platform more than you know your Bible? Do you know the Libertarian platform more than you know your Bible? Do you know the Democratic platform more than you know your Bible? If so, this is, this is something that your heart is pursuing, and we need to wake up to this. We need to wake up to this. Let me make sure I'm getting everyone here. Are, do you know the latest TikToks more than you know your Bible? All right? Have I got everyone at this point? Are, are, is, your, is your sports team uh, and the, the fifth-string quarterback that did a walk-on last year, do you know that better than you know your Bible? All right? Do you, know, do you know Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University more than Proverbs where he got Financial Peace University? You should probably just read Proverbs and not read uh, Dave Ramsey's stuff. Dave's great, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. What, what is our heart pursuing? What is it pursuing? Because right here... Right here, the text is saying, if we are being captivated, if we are being captivated by something other than Christ, then the world is trying to grab ownership, grab ownership of us. And verse 19 says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. Do not be duped by the captivating lure of the world to say, yeah, you can follow Jesus, but really what that means is be a Republican. Yeah, you can follow Jesus, but really that means be a Democrat. Yeah, you can follow Jesus, but really what that means is something totally different, totally different. Make sure that your allegiance is primarily to Christ, to primarily to Christ, and think about how you're assessing your day-to-day -day worldview. What is your heart going to? Your phone, uh, is it just the Bible app or is the Bible app like 0.2%? 0.2% and then all these other apps are the things that are really cultivating your heart. What Jesus is saying here is the group think of the world will never be our, the way that we process through things. The group think of the world, always having the latest good thing. This, uh, we grow up in a materialistic culture and always having the newest iPhone, always having the newest computer, always having the newest whatever is not something that captivates our heart. Why? Christ is what captivates our heart. And verse 26 says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
and so will you. Verse 27 is, so will you do this? Is that how you're spending your time? Thinking about and processing through, okay, what's, what's next? Lord, what do you have for me today? Who, who can I share the good news of Jesus with today? And you say, Cody, that's, that's tough. I need to be trained for that. Well, good. Like, that's why we have gospel communities, and that's why what it means to get meaningfully invested in the church. The church is here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But I also have another question. Paul gives all these warning passages in 1 Corinthians 3.16. It says, do you not know that God's spirit is within you? Or do you not know that God's spirit is within you? Are your desires to do these things? Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to obey him? This is something that we have to process through on a consistent daily basis. Do, do we want to follow Jesus? And then can we take meaningful steps arm in arm with the church and say, we're going to go do this for the glory of God. We're going to go do this for the glory of God. Did you know that there is actually more martyrs in the 20th century than there were in any other century combined? 19th through 1, there's more martyrs for the name of, of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel in the 20th century than there were in the 19th to the 1st century combined, combined. They, they weren't dying because they were bigots. They weren't dying because they weren't inclusive in their context. They were dying for Jesus. Why? Because they stood on the truth of God's word. And they said, it doesn't matter what you do to us. We live for an audience of one. The world will hate us, but it's okay. Why? Because I live for King Jesus. And you know, the 21st century, uh, it looks like we're going to double that number, but the martyrs are looking differently. The martyrs are more indigenous. Indigenous Christians in their context as missionaries go to every tongue, tribe, and nation, which this church is very serious about. We want to equip the saints to make disciples and then pull out our best disciple makers to go to the ends of the earth with the good news of the gospel to every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And, and if, if this was not true, if Jesus didn't have authority, why would we do that? That would, be, that would be idiotic to do that. It would be dispassionate to the families back here in the States. But if it's true, we got to go. If, if Jesus is the only way, we have to go. And so this church, this small church in, in Wichita Falls, Texas, by God's grace in the, in over the next 40 years, will send dozens and dozens of missionaries to the ends of the earth to start established churches so that the, the name of Jesus will be worshiped and glorified. Do you want that? Partner with us in prayer for that. Because this is what the good news of the gospel is calling us to. We have to go because he is the only way. There's no other authority that they can be saved by. And the gospel message is always going to be a hard message to receive. It's always going to be a hard message to receive by the world. Why? Because all other religions, you know what they say? They say, you can start improving today. Uh, start meditating today. Start reading this thing today. And as you enter into this brand new religion and you follow this pathway, you will start having good improvement along the way. And so uh, uh, Buddhism is this way. Hinduism is this way. Islam, Judaism, is just start doing the stuff and you'll start being 
uh, feeling a little bit better. Oh, that meditation session that I had, that was good, and all, all this stuff. Christianity doesn't have a pathway to start improving. Christianity is something totally different. You are a sinner. You cannot save yourself. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people can't do anything to make themselves better. They're dead. They're dead. Ephesians 2, as for you, you are dead in your trespasses and sins and what you once walked. Follow the course of the ruler of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also were among them at one point, gratifying our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. But like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. But God, all right, that's a really important thing. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Christianity is about resurrection. It's about resurrection. We can't improve ourselves into, into Christianity. We need someone to come and choose us out of our deadness and make us alive. And so uh, all other religions, uh, all other religions say, hey, improve today, get better today. But the message of the gospel and the reason the world hates it is we have to look at them and say, you got to humble yourself. You're dead. You gotta cry at the cry out for the mercy of God. Please throw yourselves on the mercy of God. And anyone, anyone that has said, I am seeking God right now, is only seeking God because God first seek, sought after them and chose them while they were dead. They chose them while they were dead. Look at look at our passage here. Our passage says very, very plainly, for did I not choose you? And I pointed you to go and bear fruit. Jesus chooses his friends. And I know what this, I know what this means. As soon as you hear that, you're just like, man, choosing. Man, I, I'm just so confused by that. I, I'm, uh, this is one of those disillusioning passages of uh, Jesus choosing. Why doesn't he choose everyone and blah, blah, blah. Hey, hey, Christian, wake up. Stop that. We already preached that earlier in the sermon. Uh, uh, we shouldn't look at the plain understanding of Scripture and just be like, I don't know what that means. I just don't know what it means. I have no idea how to understand that. And just distance ourselves from God. No, whenever God says things like this, whenever he looks, looks at us with the plain understanding of Scripture and says, you are mine, you are chosen. This is to express, this is what is supposed to do in your heart is express overwhelming joy. Praise God. Praise God that he chose me before the foundation of the world, as Ephesians 1 says, to be conformed into the image of his son. He chose us to be conformed, to be like Jesus. This is good news. And we should rejoice and we should stop fighting over this. We should stop saying this is too hard for us to understand. We should just accept it as the plain, did God choose us, yes or no, church? Yes, he did. And that should make us rejoice. Uh, now, I get that the mechanics of it are hard to work out, but don't, don't over, don't get stuck in the weeds whenever the, the plain understanding is so beautiful. You were dead and he chose you and made you alive. When, when did he do this? Before the foundation of the world was even laid. Before Genesis 1-1, he says, I know who my friends are. I know who my friends are. Does that not thrill your heart? Does that not say, God, you are so my, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Praise be to God. You hear that in the world, you, you start preaching this and the world says, uh, hate that. I hate that. Because you Christians are just so arrogant. How dare you just say 
say that God chose you and God, God let, see, the world will never be able to receive the gospel. It can only be gifted to us by the Spirit. The illumination of the truth has to come through the Spirit and the Word alone. And if you're here, if you're here and just like, man, this is really hard. This is a hard teaching. I, 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 don't, think I, can, I don't think I can grasp this yet. I don't think I can grasp this yet. I, I call you to friendship with the Lord, to seek after friendship with the Lord. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll end with this illustration, I think. We'll see. Um, during uh, the death of the queen that, that happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I somehow stumbled upon, I think it was when I was at the Y working out. Um, you know, it was on every TV station forever, it, feel, it felt like. And um, kind of the end of the era and stuff. And so I was actually able to watch how the queen got in line, got in line for the crown. And um, it happened whenever the Duke of Windsor, which was the king's father's brother, I'm pretty sure, abdicated the throne to marry uh, an American socialite. This is back in the 1930s. And uh, what, was crazy, what was crazy about this is everyone looked at him and just said, what are you doing? You're giving up the throne? The you're you're going to stop being the king of e England for her? And one, one um, show that I was watching uh, had a quote from him. The Duke of Windsor and says, uh, you're only saying that because you don't know her the way that I know her. You don't know her the way that I know her. And dear friends, if trusting Jesus very simply is hard for you and hard for you to process and understand, I call you to throw yourself on the mercy of God Say, God, I'm recognizing that there's nothing I can do to save me, save myself. I'm recognizing that for the, maybe even the first time. And I call you to throw yourself on the mercy of God because if this is hard for you to understand, it's because you don't know him the way that we know him. You don't know him the way that we know him. Before I was a Christian, I thought that everyone was just faking it. Uh, everyone had this false hope, this happy-go-lucky smile, this bless you, brother, yes and amen on Sunday morning. I was like, this is all just, is this theater? This has to be theater. No one's really this joyful. No one's really this happy. No one's, no one's really this much at peace. I had all these anxieties and, and struggles and hardships, and I just thought that everyone was putting on this theological theater whenever they come, came to church. But whenever I knew him and he became my friend, I was like, oh, my eyes are opened. That there is real hope. There is real peace. There is real love with the God of gods and the King of kings. But you have to know him this way and be willing to follow him no matter what the cost. You want to know why? Because the world will hate you. But take heart. He has overcome the world and he has called you friends. So let's pray.